And I am Aware Now. Aware Now, the official platform for causes. Tune in and turn it up as we raise awareness one story at a time for the causes that tie us all together. While a duel can be defined as a formal fight between two opponents, Dave Navarro and Padilla are two like souls fighting the stigma of mental health issues through artistry and advocacy. Rewriting and reframing mental health as aspects of the human experience, they work to write a new narrative for mental health and addiction. So it started with street art. Dave, when you saw the words, love me anyways, let's hear the story of this connection between the two of you and the concept of dual diagnosis that resulted. As it turns out, street art is not your only common denominator. So let's hear yeah. it. How did this start? Well, I, um, <clears throat> I became friends with another artist, Plastic Jesus, who, uh, I was working with in his studio, Padilla and Plastic Jesus used to share a studio space. So that's how I became aware of her as an artist. And when I saw the words, love me anyways, um, it, it penetrated my heart in a way that hadn't, that I hadn't experienced before. Um, being someone who suffers from you know, from anxiety, from PTSD, from, uh, you know, a myriad of things that uh, get in the way of connectedness with human beings. Um, in, it, in addition with my past history of addiction, um, it really uh, spoke to me on the level of uh, how difficult it is to maintain healthy, supportive, relationships that are loving um, and understanding and compassionate when I'm in a state or having some difficulty or challenges and that when I have found myself in those states, the people that are closest to me sometimes don't know how to behave and react at all. And the simple phrase just <laughs> <laughs> just love me and I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna cry thinking about it now. Yeah. But, um, just love me anyways, you know, it really hit home for me. It was really powerful. And so, um, because I identified with that, you know, because a lot of times human beings don't know how to, how to, uh, how to support. They don't know how to hold space. They don't, no one's, educated them and no one's taught them uh and you know so it, it's it's one of those things that's not their fault necessarily but the simplicity in the message really penetrated me because that's all that's, that was all that was required you know that's all that's required like i don't need like, you to i don't need you to I've got a little bit of echo, I'm sorry, but I don't need you to do anything different. I don't need you to treat me different. I don't need you to coddle me with kid gloves or anything like that. I just need you to be my friend and to stand with me. And um, so naturally um, I reached out to Padilla to purchase that piece, which is hanging in my bedroom. 
Um, I see, I see it every day when I wake up. I see it every night when I go to sleep. And um, we connected uh, when when I got the piece and became friends. And I think through dialogue and conversation and having a deep understanding of that, we both feel feel that way and similar uh, and really connected on that, on that level, you know? And we really started, it really started out as a friendship based on a very simple slogan that she created that really had a profound effect on me. Um, And especially in the day and age of a lot of art and street art is an image with a slogan this it's almost it's not not to talk shit about it because i do it myself and i and i love it but you know there's a lot of what i call meme art you know what i mean (laughs) where it's like it's a picture and it's a line and it's clever and it's funny and like you know and then and it those i love those pieces too this was black on it was black diamond dust on a black background and there was no imagery attached to it and it was just so pure and simple and to the point that i had to have the piece and then i had to know this woman and um that was many years ago and uh she has since become my partner in art and one of the most important people in my life in terms of support and friendship. Gosh. The message that you sent me about that piece was one of the biggest honors, I think, of, of my art career to to think that I had said something that touched someone like you and it wasn't me trying to think of something to say that would, you know, I could build a brand or make some money. It was something that I that I said that came from really my deepest suffering so i did mean it on that level of like how everyone needs to treat me but i but even before that uh meant it towards myself like you know because struggling with um just this from from trauma dysmorphia this your experience of yourself is a complete distortion and sometimes you just can't leave the house and as sometimes like i can't even answer facetime on the phone because i'm just like oh i feel like I'm, I'm swimming in this weird terrifying body and and i spent so many years really unable to leave the house and and one day just have this moment of like all right what if all these feelings i'm feeling about myself and, and that i'm that I'm physically seeing, what if it's all true? So what, you know, can I love myself anyway? (laughs) And it was like the biggest fuck you to all this. And it was just, there was was freedom in it. And it it came from such a moment of of darkness. And and remember when um, Dave started doing street art and making friends with all the artists kind of here around in a circle you know everyone was really excited and um they were saying oh you, you've got to you've got to message him you've got to meet him and he, he'd love your stuff he's really cool he'll be nice and i and i just thought you know he, first of all probably the last thing he needs is another stranger hitting him up 
Um, but I just really wanted to see if it happened organically. And I'm so glad that I did because it just started our friendship off on a whole other level, um, connecting over that phrase. And I thought, you know, I was just so wrong. I, I really, my, my catastrophizing mind instantly determined that we would have nothing in common and not become friends because our lives have been so different and actually um, have discovered that even though the circumstances of our lives are so different, the, the, the language that we speak because of the effects of the, of the trauma and the struggles and the level of empathy and compassion that we have and the way we can kind of like observe other people's nervous system and want to show up in a soothing way like we just have um a friendship that's that's so supportive and so deep and i'm just, I, I just love the story of how it started out over that phrase me too and you know i think another thing yeah. i think another misconception and one of the things that I really got from the piece and, 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 and one of the things that I would say to other people that are struggling and have had similar experiences is that, you know, as I, I can step outside of myself and look at my life, right? And I can see that there have been areas of it that have been very successful that where I've, I've achieved a lot of goals and dreams that I have actually exceeded them in many ways. And I'm very grateful for that. And I'm very, uh, I've just, uh, I feel so, so much gratitude for that. Right. Um, but a lot of people, uh, who do struggle think that there is a goal or an achievement or a thing that will fix all of that stuff you know what i mean and so i i can speak from experience that there isn't <laughs> you know like it isn't you're not going to get the girl that fixes it you're not going to get the record deal that's going to fix it you're not going to get the show that's going to fix it you're not there's no external thing or successful uh venture that's going to make one at peace with oneself and that work has to come from within and um so uh you know it's it's actually been in my case uh very difficult to find people who are compassionate and understanding and and uh and willing to hold space because they do look at my life and say what do you what do you have to be upset about? What do you have to suffer about, right? right. But the fact is, it's, it's nothing external. And it's, as Padilla said, it's all nervous system related. It's all CPTSD, complex uh, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, dysmorphia, all the things that she listed, um, I identify with. And um, when we met and started talking about these things on a friendship level, like we really realized that there was something that we could do together as artists that could maybe speak to that, you know? And uh, the initial dual diagnosis concept, I was in New York City, I was doing street art in New York City and I was also working and we would talk on the phone every couple of days 
And it just started as a conversation where I said something kind of flippantly, you know, and that's one of the things that is amazing about how we work together is that we listen to each other. We like, we really listen. So she will say something or I will say something as a matter of fact, off the cuff line. And the other one will say, whoa, that, what you just said right there, write that down. And so I just said something flippantly and Padilla caught it and wrote it down. And that phrase became the birthplace of what we're doing now, which uh, initially started. Oh yeah, it was self-care style. Self-care style. I, uh -huh. Yeah, you, you, you said you were, uh, you had to go to some event or whatever and, and you were really in your anxiety and just all of that and you said, yeah, and I was, I was dressed up, you know, all self-care style. <laughs> just, it was the funniest thing. I, I actually think, I actually think if, if memory serves, I was supposed to go to an event and I was all dressed up and ready to go and wasn't feeling safe. So I stayed home as a result, oh. self-care style, meaning like, I don't need to put myself through this. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And um, yeah. how, however it happened, it was years ago, but that's that's what started this, uh, this apparel line, which was aimed at, you know, bringing these kinds of feelings and thoughts to the forefront of the conversation mm -hmm. among people and letting people know they are certainly not alone. And, um, you know, this was several years ago and there was much more stigma around the mental health issue. Now it seems that there's a lot of signage and people talking about mental health and doing what they can to support and help and understand it. But we are now delving deeper into the root causes of why people suffer and Padilla can speak to you on that um, a lot a lot more intelligently than I can if if, if that's a good place to hand it off yeah for sure well, Let's I, I was just gonna say um you know something that we've discovered through our friendship but also through the feedback we're getting uh with dual diagnosis is that you'd you'd think that people really can't relate to each other because you have infinitely complex stories and they're all so different but but while those uh circumstances you know are infinite in number there's really just a very limited range of of human emotion hmm. and we've all felt the same feelings just called provoked by different circumstances and so when we start to talk about the feelings that we've had and then the ways that we are shaped in our life because of those feelings and the dysfunctional patterns and how we create more of those feelings it's it's like we start to realize that it doesn't matter how different someone is in any capacity even even culturally we're all having the same feelings and so when we start meeting on that level we can really start to support each other in, in beautiful ways. And I think going back to what Dave was saying a moment ago, it's, it's true. There's nothing external that's gonna fix, fix you 
or bring you happiness. But I think in starting to weave to weaving together a community of people that understand your specific human experience and where you're getting tripped up and and support you like on that deeper nervous system level. I, I really do believe that 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 bringing those people in um, is, is what promotes flourishing. Um, and it's a refuge from some things that go on in our society that are really, really toxic to mental health. Like our, our society basically does the opposite of support mental health. Yeah. Yeah. And in and, and one of our pieces, it's so funny that you say that there's a lot of there's a lot of people in this space artistically that do their best to support mental health. Right. But we we have a piece that's that's coming out. You've heard the phrase "live, laugh, love," mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And we did a, a diptych. One side says "live, laugh, love." The other side says "die, cry, hate," because when somebody is suffering and they see a simple slogan that says "live, laugh, love," and they can't access that at all it's alienating and isolating happiness is a choice tell that to someone who's suffering from deep depression they can't choose that so the diptych that we created just encompasses all of the human condition and is saying that it's all natural and normal to feel any aspect of this entirety of emotions and it's not just this half, because when you have messaging that only points out a half that 90% of people who are suffering cannot identify with, that makes them feel more alone. And so we're trying to just expand and say, we're all human going through the human experience and like it or not, there can't be light without darkness, you know, and and uh, and the darkness is sometimes OK because it allows you to see the light at times. You know, you think you think about the phrase this too shall pass, you know, and typically everything does pass. But guess what? There's something around the corner that you're going to want that to pass too <laughs> soon. You know what I mean? Like. It's yeah, and I, even even that phrase, is, it's another one that's just so mainstream accepted, but it's, it's so damaging to people who struggle because, yeah, the thing did pass, but it's still encoded in your in your nervous system. You're still holding it in your body. You still are living a lesser life. You still have a smaller feelings about yourself and pain and stuff. Like for a lot of people, things don't always pass. Yeah. And I and I that's something that excites me about our project is is sort of looking at these these things and actually speaking the truth about it. Mm -hmm. Things don't don't pass. Happiness is not a choice. You you can't always live laugh love. It's it's I I think it's a, it's exciting to go from that little tiny people to broadening the view to the the truth of the human experience and then hear how it's um, affecting people in, in powerful ways and who've always felt so 
isolated and, and broken because of these these mantras that are out there. And and I just want to emphasize that we're not uh, <clears throat> speaking ill of people who present those mantras because we know it's in good faith and it's coming from a good place. Mm -hmm. And you know, so in no way are we are we speaking ill of that intention because the intentionality is pure and loving and good. And it also, lots of people do identify with that and it does hit them profoundly and they are able to live that way. But we also know that yeah. there's a portion of the population that it doesn't resonate with. And so we wanted to offer that alternative and, and let people <laughs> know that it's okay to feel human and um and you know we uh we get uh messaged by so many people that are so grateful for what we're saying and what we're doing and um you know fortunately or unfortunately we get asked for advice quite a bit you know and the facts are that we're not therapists and we're not doctors and we're just too more human beings going through similar things and and we're all often in our own crisis at the time <laughs> yeah you know and so really the only advice we have or the only thing that we can can offer is what we're offering through our art and through our messaging anyway like that's the stuff and and, and the manifesto i don't know if you read that on the website oh yes yeah so those are those are the tools and the things that we know to be true. And, you know, we are unable to, uh, you know, work with others on a one-on-one -on -one basis. But what we can do is we can create from our hearts, which which the process of creation and, and coming up with uh, alternative ways of looking at this stuff really does bring us joy. Mm. And, and it mm -hmm. resonates, it's seeming to resonate with a lot of people, you know, but in terms of, you know, getting the, the 12 inch DM from somebody who's suffering and wants me <laughs> personally to tell them what to do, like, that's not, I can't, I can't, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to tell you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Within, within this project, you know what I mean? And, and, and really, the things that I do, I've made very public and I've been very transparent about it. I, I cognitive therapy, yoga, meditation, uh, EMDR. I'm going to start getting into breath work. Like there's a lot of things that one can do, um, you know, to try and combat there. You, you almost have to create an army of your own self care. Mm. And that, and that's, and that's, you know, an individually tailored thing that there's no, you know. Yeah, it, it's like running running a company almost where you have to have a staff to help you show up as the best version of yourself and invite that person forward. And how am I gonna make this person the most productive, stable person? We'll have to create this whole environment and I need, I need all these components. It's like a full-time management job sometimes. 
Yeah, I mean, I, from the time I wake up to the time that my staff is done with its work, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I got, I got, I got to make coffee. I got to, I got to yoga. I got to meditate. I got to do, you know, there's, I got a number of people to reach out to, like just, just to be at a baseline okay place, you know. And even on some days, all that stuff doesn't work either because, you know, we. We get high. We get hijacked, you know. Oh, but, yeah. but um, I, I don't. I want to move off of us talking about the fact that we struggle so much. I think it's very evident. You know what I mean. <laughs> we also, we also experience tremendous amounts of joy and have tremendous amounts of gratitude and a tremendous amounts of support and love in our lives. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to dual diagnosis and and talking about what we're doing. I think it's important for us to be transparent about our backgrounds. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And it's, you know, I love how the two of you speak about this, and you refer to this spectrum of the human experience. You know, you're not one thing or another, that we are complex beings. And um, yeah, now it's the work that you're doing is so important. And I think so many people hear you. Uh, you know, I, I want to get technical for a moment. Um, just for those people who are unaware of the actual term dual diagnosis, what does it mean? Like, what is the actual definition of, of this? I think it means you're a human being. <laughs> <laughs> you have, you have uh, different things that you struggle with that come up at different times. And uh, what it, what it technically means, I think, is that those things have been pathologized. Yes. Um, you have you have a, a, a label. You have a diagnosis. It, it, it means you know co- co-occurring diagnoses. And uh, the thing that I think we've lost sight of is that a diagnosis. The intention of that is to give you greater understanding about yourself and in seeking help and some type of additional support that is afforded to you because of that diagnosis. But um, that's not really, I mean, uh, that does happen to an extent, but really what a diagnosis does is creates terror, loss of hope a feeling of damnation uh, and and judgment and stigma. Yeah. yeah. And, and destroys your self-worth because you thought you were a person struggling with these things and maybe you, you were very desperate to and curious and looking around, learning about how you can free yourself from that, but now you have this diagnosis. So just settle down in that label and make all of your, your life choices from that lesser place. Yeah, it, it's 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 really like going in to sit down with a counselor, a therapist, or a doctor, and having him just flat out say, "There are multiple things wrong with you." <laughs> right. <laughs> you know right. What I mean? well. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is like probably the worst thing to say to somebody who's going through some stuff. Um, I've spent a number of years in my early, you know, in the in the '90s. I struggled with addiction really badly and been to a number of rehabs and I was always dual diagnosis. I was, I was always labeled as dual diagnosis, addiction, depression, uh-huh. or so dual typically meaning two, you know, but you know, in my case it was 
this kid suffers from addiction and he suffers from PTSD and depression, right? And, you know, when they spell it, it's D-U-A-L, mm -hmm. dual diagnosis, right? Because they're they're using the Latin too. Yeah. Um, what we, uh, what we've done is we've changed the spelling and um, dual as almost a, a, a conflict, a fight, one against the other. Mm -hmm. And if you look at our logo, which is a Rorschach test from uh, Herman Rorschach, who invented these inkblot tests that were designed to, uh, you know, calculate how a person is doing on a psychiatric level, they were told that there was no wrong answer in terms of what they saw in the image, but more times than not, if you didn't say, I see, uh, you know, a Ferris wheel, you were locked up and, and, and you underwent really horrific uh, treatments and shock therapy and things that were even more damaging. Um, and our logo, people see two guns and people see a moth, people see a butterfly and all those answers are accurate and it was designed that way. And so when we say dual, D-U-E-L, and you look at and you can see the two guns in the logo, which would be used in a dual, right? That's symbolic of the battles that we put ourselves through. Like it's, it's dual because there's two of us also uh -huh. um, in the partnership, but it's also that that internal struggle of, you know, uh, you know, just the typical uh, angel and devil on each shoulder, you know what I mean? Pointing guns at each other, <laughs> trying to win. So, right. so dual DUAL diagnosis is, is, uh, is Padilla answered that. And then how we've adapted it to almost illustrate what goes on within a in single individual, right? Mm -hmm. there, is, there is a duel that goes on within the single individual. And then also, it just struck us as funny. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and like, that's the other thing is that we really try to have a sense of humor. We're talking yes. about some yeah. really heavy issues here, but the fact yeah. of the matter is that, you know, having a sense of humor is another component of in the arsenal to combat uh yes. these conditions you yes. know yes and absolutely so we yeah, try yeah. to we try to approach really important heavy topics with that lightness and sense of humor and and playfulness mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and, and i think it's also uh for, for me anyway it, um it's about not living as your diagnosis. Uh, it's, yes. it's about acknowledging, you know, because uh, I, I see a lot of um, mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, PTSD, those types of things. Uh, I don't believe those are a disease of the organism. I believe they're a disease of the environment. Mm. And the, that the environment that's formed a person into someone who can't translate their spirit out into the world in a robust way and instead is de depressed and contracted and afraid all the time. The shame is needs to be put on that environment and that needs to be looked at.
Um, and there's a lot of serious conversations that I think need to happen surrounding that rather than, um, you know, most of my life, um, I was told uh, that, you know, I, I had this, this brain that's just chemically imbalanced and it's probably genetic and it's like having a heart condition. You just accept it and you just live with it and you scale back on your dreams because they cause stress and that's bad for you, so you live a lesser life. And I was living as my diagnosis and all the fear and, and worthlessness surrounding that, rather than living as, as my spirit, which is actually very creative and powerful and capable, um, but just needs special support because of things that I've that I've been through. And when I look back over my life, it, it feels tragic because all these years that I've spent believing I was mentally ill, like I, I actually was exhibiting tremendous mental wellness in trying to figure it out, trying to seek answers, trying to find people who could love me in the right ways and support me and make my make my nervous system calm down. Like I, I've exhibited, uh, you know, all of the symptoms of mental illness, but my behavior and my beliefs are a thousand percent mental wellness. Mm-hmm. 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 And that's a great point. And I think, I know when I first, I was like, wait, how are they spelling this? And I was looking at it, I'm like, oh, I get it. And I guess I personally, when, when I saw it and when I took it in, it felt like to me dual diagnosis, like sort of fighting the diagnosis, not saying I don't accept yeah. different things about me or about where I matter, but rather to say, my diagnosis does not define me, you know. Exactly. And I think, and it, and it, and it doesn't, and it, and it doesn't have to win. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yes. and and one of the, and I think one of the ways that, uh, just a very simple ex example of that is that, had Padilla and I not lived the lives we've lived, we wouldn't. None of us would be having this conversation right now. Yeah. Which is a tremendous, which is a tremendous victory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All things for a reason, I suppose. I'm certainly thankful and honored to be sitting here right now, having this this very talk. Um, you know, so I guess a, a broader question. You know, outside of the what it is, I'd like to discuss the how of it in terms of like mental health issues, like how has it become so stigmatized and how do we unstigmatize it how do we change that narrative um thoughts we we have a lot of thoughts um, do you want to start sure yeah um the thing that jumps out for me first on that topic is if you think about the the constructs of society, um, there is an overall agenda of, that everyone has to plug into in some capacity or they don't survive. We have to produce things and we have to make money and then we have to consume and it's a cycle and it goes on through linear time, uh, which is, is built into the constructs of society as like the, the fundamental aspect of it. And if, um, if you 
can't fit into that or you value other things or you're different or maybe your energy is such that it just creates things that are outside of those constructs and that's what makes you feel alive um then you're considered mentally ill and then that's where the stigma comes from because you're not fitting into this structural machine that has to keep moving forward so that you know our our economy can remain what it is and i've been reading um a lot recently about ind indigenous worldviews and it's just like oh my god like the, the way that they i wouldn't even say that they they had a society but the the way that their culture is structured is so based on um each individual having knowing that each individual has their own experience of an inner world and of, and of time and it's not linear it's often very different and then valuing that seeing that's beautiful with each within each person and then the way these people come together in these little like pods and and create a little reality together and they live in that where nobody's saying this is how it is you must plug into this or you're or you're sick you you're you're building um like a whatever you'd call it a, a psycho emotional structure and all these values to live in together and um that that is to me like the conditions under which i would flourish um you know but you put me out in this world and i, I i'm in, instantly mentally ill and then therefore stigmatized <sighs> and, and i think i think also adding on to that when it comes to the stigma around mental illness i think that it is shifting i think that the world is especially after the past two years has become very very aware of how prevalent uh mental struggles are and how rampant in our society there are they are um and so i do i have watched the world uh become less stigmatizing around the subject and talking about it and being open about it but now it's time to have the conversation of how do we coexist and live with this because it's very easy for someone to put hashtag mental awareness health you know mental health awareness day and like think they're moving the needle but the fact of the matter is um this isn't a hashtag and so what what Padilla just outlined with the indigenous societal constructs and 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 what what is happening in those scenarios is community mm -hmm. is uh understanding is patience is compassion is uh unconditional love and acceptance and so those are the things that i think that we're seeing now a shift in uh in in the healing space in the spiritual space things are 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 leaning starting to lean more that way which is a beautiful thing but um yeah i mean so when i hear it, I struggle when I hear the word stigma because you see so much signage and and people talking about mental health these mm -hmm. days. You know, it's almost become, I hate to say it, it's almost become in vogue to become an advocate, right? But you can become an advocate and that's wonderful, but 
there's the solution side of it that's missing that and and I'm, I'm not talking about solution in terms of you know seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist or whatever you need to do to to get through your day whatever but just on a sociological level that you know we need to start talking about the solution um so um yeah. I, I do feel I do feel like we're headed in the right direction, which gives me a lot of hope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, yeah, and and like you were saying, Padilla too, is that you know talking about this construct in our society. So maybe it's you know not just putting hashtags on things, but rather how do we have this discussion about sort of reconstructing this construct? You know, um, that everyone feels that they have to assimilate to and. Um, and that's uh, needs some work. So, uh, yeah, and that's a, that's a big overwhelming thing, and you can certainly see why it's so much easier to blame the individual and just medicate medicate them. I mean, that's that's easy to understand, but to, to actually change the constructs of what we're living in is like, how do we do that? <laughs> but yeah. we have to start. Each one of us has to start to try, and we've started like within within just within a, a friendship and then in building outward um, with this project. Um, and I think everybody needs to think about that in their own life. How are they gonna start to personally change the construct just from their little tiny singular point in it? And one, I always bring this up when this subject comes up and I, I'm, I apologize, Padilla, for repeating myself and, and, you know, she's had to hear me talk about this a lot, but, you know, I think that, you know, the way social media is set up right now is really dangerous because people aren't posting their whole lives. They're posting the time they're on the yacht. They're posting the time that they have like a hot cocoa by the Christmas tree. They're posting pictures of them at parties with family. They're not posting the whole story. So when someone who's suffering is scrolling through these things and seeing all these lives that yes. they're, they're not living. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, like, and I, you know, look, if I'm, if I'm having a breakdown and sobbing, I'm not, I too am not taking a selfie and putting it up and going to just live in, <laughs> just live in the human condition, folks. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's, <laughs> but it's like, it's almost set up, you know, like, uh, people you know and i myself included with the work i do and you know uh, uh I, I i try to i try to write a healthy balance of keeping things private and keeping things open and certainly you know work related stuff is work related stuff but like i think by and large we're we've created what we call a compare and despair society mm. where, where we're flipping through pictures and wondering why our lives don't feel and look like that when not being aware that those people aren't posting the whole picture is a heavily edited life that you're looking at you know and so i always i always think that's important to keep in mind or mention because you know someone's scrolling through whatever platform they're on uh maybe just having that awareness while they're looking through that could maybe make them feel a little bit less alone, you know, yeah. because, yeah. because yeah. face it, none of us post 
ourselves in the fetal position after 42 hours <laughs> crying, you know, and, right. you know, and, 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 uh, you know, it's, you know, I mean, some people do, some people do, and those are real cries for help that need, uh, you know, and hopefully their loved ones and friends are there to support them. Uh, but, uh, by and large, I feel that, um, one of the reasons in why things have seemingly gotten more tragic in terms of the levels of mental health issues that are out there is a result of the fact that we're not getting the true story about people's lives from the people who are living them. Uh -huh. And so we, and I'm not talking shit about social media or anything like that. I use it myself. I use it very limitedly and I'm not dismissing anybody who does what they do. That's their life. That's fine. But I think that just having the awareness of the fact that this isn't the whole life, this isn't the whole experience. These are snapshots yeah. and every, and everybody can, everybody can come up with a great snapshot or two, like, you know, and the sickest individual among us could find a moment where he looks like he's living the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know oh yeah, I mean? for sure, for sure. Yeah, no, that, and that's a really good point. I mean, it's just having that perspective and like that that sense of the reality of the situation, not the perceived reality. So yeah. Um, so you know, I, I was gonna go on to you know ask about your kick-ass logo. We we, we covered that. Um, let's let's get to to the clothing though. So I'd like to hear about this clothing line, and. Um, just just more about that i i feel like i think about that um cliche like what is it the suit makes the man or however that goes you know um and i feel like what your line does is it really empowers someone to actually wear i mean if you, they say you are what you eat but perhaps in this case it's you are what you wear like you can put on something and actually hey like this is my reality um, what do you have to say about your clothing line that's so brilliant? <laughs> In that spirit, we started calling uh, our our shirts wearable proclamations. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I feel. I feel. I feel when I see somebody in one of our designs, or I'm wearing one of our designs, I feel like I'm saying, or they're saying, "I get it," and you're not alone. And, yeah. and and that's it, really that simple. And uh, on a strange level, we've almost tried to create a, an environment wherein, like, you know what? We're the cool kids now. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. <laughs> this this is the club. You know, like this. Yeah, is we... I, I think it's cool to say who you really are and what you're really struggling with. Yeah, carry yeah. some some views to, to feels so to make other people feel shitty so you can feel better about yourself. It's just it's a beautiful thing being honest in that way. Yeah, and it, honesty and and you know we have a uh, we have a, a another line that's coming out that's called Trauma Kids, and uh, it's about all of us who've experienced trauma in our lives and and being vocal about that and again saying that 
you're not alone if you're a trauma kid. I'm a trauma kid. Padilla definitely is a trauma kid. And it's kind of a club. And it's, it's the way I've always described it is, it's a club that is very difficult to get into and nobody wants to join. But once you're in, you're in for life. You're a lifetime member, you know? Mm -hmm. And so let's unite. And yeah, that's, that's kind of where, where that's coming from. And, and, uh, and I can't tell you how many people have, have, uh, identified with that, you know, and it, and, and, you know, it's very, it's, it's almost rare. I, it's rare to find somebody who hasn't experienced trauma on some level or another, you know, and even the ones that have had, had it really lucky their whole lives, you know, have just, we've just had two years of a global trauma, you know? So now yeah, that's true. really, really, really the entire planet are potential applicants to join this club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I have to say the way that you just described the club just gave me goosebumps and um, you know, just in, in the way that you closed that description just to say that you're not alone. This isn't what you wanted, but you're here now and you're not alone anymore. And that's really beautiful. Yeah, and I think, I think one of the other um, pieces of that and what we're trying to do with DD and in rebranding trauma as just something that's part of the human experience but actually make it seem maybe cool is not the right word but in the sense that it gives you uh extra dimension it gives you special abilities it gives you additional compassion it gives you an infinite well of weird creative ideas i mean i mean nobody wants trauma and would wish it on anybody but once you've had it um you are infinitely expanded in so many ways creatively and in the way you can connect to others so it's actually you know we it's it's been um stigmatized as this terrible cursed thing but the way that i've come to understand trauma through my million years of trying to overcome it is that it's it's really just a contraction around your life energy that happens due to whatever you experience. And it's not so much about the trauma, like it's setting you up for nature's mechanism of bursting forth. It's about the expansion that's able to happen after that deep contraction. Why, do, why does any contraction happen in the body or any system? It's to, it's to scatter further than you ever would have in your lifetime. Yeah. normally so in it's in in starting to explore that through dd we're giving people who've been told since day one that they are worth less because of things that have happened to them we're telling them, no actually you're worth a lot more you have a lot more abilities um and the contribution and the, and the things that you can contribute are on just a whole other level Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that you how you just spoke about the contraction and the expansion, like what you can what can come of that. And as you said the word contraction, I of course think about when I 
you know, gave birth to my son and man, that hella hurt and yeah. like a contraction. <laughs> but you think about what came from that most yeah. beautiful thing in the world. And so it's interesting when we <laughs> think about our lives that way, these traumas, these contractions that we go through, how we're able to absolutely produce something beautiful. If, if, I, could, yeah. if, I, if I could speak to that on a personal level, <clears throat> and one of the reasons why I'm so honored to be working with Padilla in this, in this project is that when I was 15 years old, I suffered uh, my biggest trauma you know, in my life. The one that informed a lot uh, and, and changed my life in a lot of ways. And at 15, you know, I'm 54 now. So at 15, it's 1983, um, there was no dialogue. There was no talking about this kind of stuff. And I cannot begin to describe you the loneliness and isolation and feeling outside and different and, uh, ashamed and alone and scared i felt because there was no one else talking about these things and you know there was certainly no global communication then um but then you talk about the contraction and the expansion had it not been for that trauma i would not have turned to music as a source of soothing yeah. right and i turned deeply to music is the source of soothing, which ultimately allowed me to have the life I have today, you know? And um, so I, 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 I just, I'm just piggybacking on what Padilla said in, in my own personal experience, you know? Yeah. But, you know, I, I, who knows what would have happened, you know? And in, in some strange, very difficult way to understand and a very difficult way to articulate and say and have it be understood like of course the trauma was terrible of course i would never wish that to happen to anyone or myself but i have i have to be forced to find some source of gratitude in it as well yeah it it birthed an incredible human being and an incredible life. It really did. It, it was it was an it was an implosion of the world that gave birth to this, you know, all all of your the beauty of your existence. And that's but that's what I see in you uh, as 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 Padilla is probably one of the most brilliant human beings I know. She's a brilliant writer. She's a brilliant artist. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I don't know that she she would have the life and be the person she was had she not gone through those experiences, and 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 not had the the ability to turn to those outlets to do something that is changing the landscape and making a huge impact on a lot of people. And so I. I have such great empathy and and compassion for her story. And at the same time, I have a little bit of gratitude for it because yeah. I have an amazing partner, an amazing friend, and, and probably one of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life. My gosh, thank you, Dave. That means so much coming from someone like you. <laughs> 
bathroom. I didn't expect this to be a therapy session. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's I want to hug you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have put the mascara on today. Honey. <laughs> this is going to happen this way. Hey, me, me, me either, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no so so beautiful um so i'm just gonna keep with these beautiful words by sharing the words that you shared you asked did i read the manifesto oh my goodness so i'm i'm going to read a, a portion of it for those who have not but need to we celebrate honesty realness we wear our humanity proudly. This is from the Dual Diagnosis Manifesto in 197 words comprised of 1,148 characters. You make a powerful statement that when I read it for the first time, improved my posture literally as I was reading it. What? <laughs> the honesty of what we struggle with then celebrate is so incredibly articulated in a way that flips the script instantly to what we're used to hearing when it comes to mental health. So I love for the two of you to, and, and we've spoke about this, especially when we first started out with Love Me Anyways, but if there's anything more that you'd like to speak of with regard to the weight of words, whether they are the words that are being shared by someone else or the words that we use to define and describe our own feelings. I think um, <clears throat> that's one of the the big problems in the in the world and in the healing space is that we don't have a lot of the language that we need. Like language, words, and phrases correspond to our neural circuits. So we tend to think in terms of words rather than actually looking within our personal human experience and trying to articulate how we really feel about things or how things have affected us. And so we're all out here connecting in these predefined words. Um, and what we try to do in the writing is not say anything that's been said before. Um, but actually look deeply in the present moment within to what's actually going on, what has actually happened in our life beyond what what we've been diagnosed with or how, however it's been pathologized. And I think that's uh, why people feel such a strong connection because we're reaching so deeply within and trying to articulate um, really deep, deeply true stuff in in new ways that it, and it makes you think because it's not in the pre-packaged phrases and ways of saying it but it it really like snaps people into the moment of oh i feel that and instead of oh i'm thinking these words i'm i'm feeling like you're articulating something i'm feeling within and and um that's that's really powerful I think um, something I, I get angry about, like in, in the self-help space or um, yoga and meditation community is I feel like they're saying the same buzzwords over and over again. Um, you know, whether it's like the, the words sacred, divine, chakra, aura, like all these kinds of words. And, and what they don't realize is that 
99% of the population, the second they hear those words, like their ear flaps close. They just, uh, they don't they don't know what it means. It, it scares them. It's, it sounds weird or whatever. And you can talk about all of those things like divine and light and, and healing and transformation without using words that shut people down uh, just because of the, that they've been repeated so many times by certain communities. I think we we have to realize we have to start communicating in ways not just that the people within our demographic and community can understand, but like the kid growing up in in a impoverished neighborhood with violence and and addiction and all of that. Like, I want to speak about things that that kid can hear. I want to say things in ways that that kid can hear, not just the demographic of the people who typically buy this type of stuff or speak these words. Like that's not important anymore. If we're going to um, really start to heal the, the human organism, the human species, we've got to start, you know, like within an organism, if the cells stop communicating, it dies. That's what's happening. Because we're all in our little bubbles saying our same words over and over again that never, no one else wants to hear the, each other's words. And when we start digging into our, the truth of our experience, that starts to bridge the gap. And then we start all coming together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just so grateful that you read part of that manifesto because, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> earlier I said one of the things that Padilla and I do is that we listen to each other, you know? And when we, when we talk, we really extract really valuable gems from one another, even if the other one is unaware of it. And that <clears throat> that uh, that manifesto, which every time I read it, hits me really hard. Um, a lot of that came from dialogue. A lot of it came from uh you know passing back and forth ideas and notes and you know we're both very much in in that manifesto our words and our thoughts um but as i said a few minutes ago all of the sentence structure all of the writing all of what you're looking at came from this woman (laughs) and that and that's what i was saying earlier is that she has had a really, you know, uh, tumultuous life. I don't know if I'm using that word word right, but it feels right. Um, And when we're talking about the expansion and the contraction, like that's what we get, you know? Um, I, I identify with everything in there. I contributed a lot of what's in there, but just, the brilliant way in which she puts pen to paper and expresses a concept is something that I am constantly in awe of. Thank you. Well, I would say, yeah, many, certainly many of us are. I, um, I remember when I first read it and it's, you know, those things that you see or that you read where you have to stop what you're doing. You have to stand up and physically go and say, look, or listen to someone. And that's what that was for me. Jack, come here, I gotta show you this. Um, yeah, so uh, words are, are powerful. So how thankful are we that the two of you are doing what you're doing, use them, using them the way that you are and for, for the reason you are. Um, 
you know, I, uh, I so I'm gonna switch gears one more time. Um, I and I, so it was our great pleasure to meet I and I who share the cover with you. Please tell us their story and their role in dual diagnosis. I'm super curious. <clears throat> wow, I and I. <clears throat> I and I, I, well, it's a it's an uppercase I and a lowercase I. And I don't know if you had an opportunity to see the short film on our website. The sh no, I don't think I don't think I saw the film about it. Yeah, it, there's there's when you when you load the website, there will be a play now, and it'll take you to like a three four minute film. Um, <clears throat> and Padilla, you can take this, and I'll expand upon it later. But uh, they are. Uh, they are our mascots and they are our warriors. And uh, yeah. they are also, they are also uh, examples of finding community. And that's what I'll say, but yeah. I'll, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna leave it to you, Padilla, to explain who they are and how they Okay. Um, yeah, so we had, that conversation that we were laughing over about being dressed up self-care style and Dave was like oh we got to make a shirt that says that we've got to make a shirt and so we started talking about making a shirt and then I thought well we should make a character to kind of tell these kind of stories that we're that we're trying to tell so we were just looking at different styles of characters of you know what are we trying to say of people that feel isolated and disconnected and layered in all of their defense mechanisms and the things they're taking on and just feel really unplugged from humanity um and so we were looking at different types of images and we discovered these um i don't know if they're from the 1700s or or what but the vintage diving suits where they're just so thick and layered and have these weird gaskets and the, the, the tubes and you're, you're kind of in your own atmosphere, bringing your own atmosphere with you down into the depths uh, to try to explore and make sense of things. And I, I think we both feel that way in life often. Uh, and so we start with big I and then I don't know how little I came about. I think we found another vintage diving suit and he was in a box on wheels. And that was really cool too. <laughs> so in, in the film, uh, you see a character, a woman who has a traumatic experience. And as a result of that traumatic experience, uh, creates her own environment to live in for safety. Because really, if you're in a suit like that, no one can actually touch you. You have your own air. You're protected. You feel safe, but you're you're isolated, and um, which can be very very dangerous. And this character goes through this little journey and finds another character that has gone through the same thing and built their own environment. And they meet up and. They find each other and <clears throat> through their trauma, and I guess if once again, going back to the contraction and expansion, they start to create their own world, their own reality that is happy and makes sense to them. And 
um, even the other friends that they've created in that world tie back into the logo. They created characters using that same old Rorschach inkblot ink blot method. Mm -hmm. So you'll see at the end of the film, they have all these little friends they made, but they're all they're all psychic, all archaic psychiatric tools that they were used. But in this in this space, they become sources of light in their lives. So there there is a, there's definitely a story that's worth looking at, and uh, we'll. I didn't mean to give away the ending, but you know it's it's only three or four minutes, and um, and yeah, that's the story of those two, and and I think that. Uh, I don't know if we ever consciously thought this or if we ever said this or ever wanted it to be this way, but I always view those two characters as me and Pidia. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, we realized that way after the fact that was funny and we were like, holy shit, that's kind of like us. And I remember Dave, you were like, has everyone else been thinking this the whole time? <laughs> we, we never realized that it was hilarious. But it, it, but it, but but it, I think it, it, it is true that, in the sense that we both had these life experiences and we met each other and we have created our own world, you know? That yeah, would, it's that, true. I know. We we're living it. That wouldn't exist. So I don't, I wouldn't say that those two characters our us specifically, but they are very closely representative of how we work <laughs> together and work. It's just, it's, it's just, and, and, it, and, it, and it was not with any, and, and, and I think that there is, you know, there's really an organic nature of how that's, uh, how that's connected because it wasn't on purpose. You know, we were trying to tell one story and realized we were telling our story. And uh, <laughs> and and it was just like we were in my garage, I think, or something. We were just like, wait a minute here. <laughs> now I understand why these characters are making sense to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is amazing. And uh yeah, and I love, again, I mean, just the words you use to, to define and describe these characters, you know, with needing to bring their own sort of atmosphere, their own safety. They had to create their own safety in order to go and to explore these depths, the ways that we do. Yeah, and, really and, and they want to be out in the world on adventures and creating and connecting, but they just can't quite do it like everyone else. But they're doing it in their own way. And it's still really beautiful. So I think that just really uh, drives home the point we're trying to make with all of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's really brilliant. Um, you know, so when we talk about, uh, you know, the pandemic, it's a bitch. Um, some have found big wins and others only losses. So question now for those who are struggling and we've talked about this for a moment um, with the isolation that comes from covid um 
what advice would you have? If there was one piece of advice that you could give to someone who's feeling just so alone and so connected with this, this other reality that has become so new for all of us, what would you say? Well, I, you know, I would say that it's important to stay as connected as possible to those around you that support you and love you. Um, I would say that it would, it's pretty vital to find something that you can be passionate about and, um, you know, immerse yourself in that. I don't, I don't know if, I don't know how I would have had, especially the first year of it. I don't know. I don't know if I would have made it the way I made it had I not turned to music and art and and the people and the community, whether it be a community, it can be a community of two people, you know, just some semblance of safety and an open, vulnerable dialogue because people are very afraid. A lot of people are very afraid of being vulnerable. Um, and uh, we found that, or I found, and I don't want to speak for Padilla at all, but I think that we found that in allowing ourselves to be vulnerable comes great strength, comes great, it's almost a superpower. Because if you can identify and talk openly about what's really going on honestly, then you get into solution. And you can't get into solution until you're actually willing to be that vulnerable and say, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on. And um, so for me, remaining vulnerable, remaining open and nurturing my passions was salvation for me. You know, it was the only way I could do it. And even and even still, it was hard. You know what I mean? Even still, it was hard. It's still hard. As I told you, I'm I'm just now on the other side of of this new strain, you know, and there's a lot of fear in the world, like, okay, the whole world's going to get Omicron and then we're going to have herd immunity, but like, there might be another strain coming, you know what I mean? Like, so we don't, you know what I mean? It's, uh, so I would say that connectedness and community for me are what my answers would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. That's oh, great. I don't know if Padilla has a different answer. Or, yeah, I honestly think what you said is is absolutely perfect, and I, I don't have anything to add to it because I've honestly this entire pandemic been a crumpled, frozen mess. So take it, take all of Dave's advice on that. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. No, I totally hear you. Um, uh, there, there is one more question that I that I had uh, put together for today and for this conversation. Um, shifting gears a bit more. So here we are in this new year, uh, with new days to get up, clean up our lives. As this is dry January, that's now underway. Um, so with those who choose to challenge themselves by giving up alcohol for the month, we come to the topic of addiction. And whether it be alcohol, drugs, sex, addictions can ruin people's lives. So wondering if there's any personal stories that you could share or any personal advice that you can give 
um, to those who don't even know where to begin? Well, <clears throat> it's, it's very difficult to give out this kind of advice on a group level like this, on a public platform like this, because it is such an individual thing. But what I can say is that, again, community support, reaching out, you know, there are a myriad of free resources out there that offer communities. Um, uh, 12 step groups, um, cognitive therapy, sometimes, uh, rehabil you know, rehabilitation centers and, 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 and more so than even speaking about how to give up on substance abuse. What I would really like to emphasize is that, <clears throat> um, the influx of fentanyl into this country, um, has caused the overdose rates to skyrocket. The numbers have never been higher because it is such a deadly thing. And what's happening is um, <clears throat> it's finding its way into all the pills that are on the street because people press pills now. So when you, what looks like it came from a pharmacy, didn't come from a pharmacy. It came from a factory where they're pressing pills that emulate what Xanax feels like, that emulate what Oxycontin feels like, but it's not those chemicals and, uh, or very little, uh, little bit of those chemicals. So we're entering into a phase where the street drugs right now are more deadly than they've ever been. In fact, it's my understanding that it's difficult to find heroin, just straight up heroin now because it all has fentanyl in it. And one of the things that is so scary about it is that during the manufacturing progress, if you think about uh, when you bake a cake and you mix the batter and then you pour the batter into whatever cookware you're going to use, sometimes you'll notice at the bottom of the bowl that there's a bunch of granules that didn't get mixed in quite properly, right? You know, it's just it's the nature of just, you know, how that happens. But with the fentanyl, if you take those granules that didn't get mixed in properly and they find their, their, they find their way into a single fake Xanax bar, it's gonna kill somebody. So I just wanna, I always like to put that warning out more than speaking about how to get clean because there are a number of different ways and, and, they're, and they're different for everybody else. And I found like through the grace of God, my own, my own way out. And, and I'll be even more honest with you. It's still hard. It's still hard, you know? Um, so I just wanted to put that warning out there since we're on the subject. I don't know if, if you have anything to speak on the addiction side of things. Um. Yeah, I, I do. Um, trying to think how to how to say it. Um, you know, I don't I don't personally struggle with addiction. I've been around it my whole life. My my mother, most of my friends. Um, I've spent a lot of time in, in addiction healing communities. Um, and what I what I really want to say, and I don't know that this exactly answers your question but it's a it's a perspective it's like 
anyone who struggles with it, it's another area there's such stigma and you're a junkie and you're a hardcore addict and you're this and you're that. Um, and that's how we regard people. And, and it seems that people in recovery have to label themselves and own all of that as part of their recovery, which I understand I'm, and I'm not, I'm not condescending that, but I think there's, there's a greater um, perspective on this where if you look at someone who uses drugs, if you look, zoom way out, look at what they're trying to achieve. They're trying to transcend tremendous pain. They're trying to feel um, their energy powerfully participating in, in these um, other realms, you know, these in these creative, inspiring realms that, that don't exist in reality. And that kind of intention is brilliant. It's beautiful. It's everyone should have that drive. And yeah, okay, go, having that drive and then going out and, and doing drugs, obviously it's going to ruin your life. But I think it's an area where we need to look below the surface and see what's actually going on and find ways to, again, adjust the world to meet those people. Because, because anyone I've ever known that struggled with addiction has, has been some form of genius, has had the most incredible, beautiful energy that just flows out of them uncontrollably. We don't learn any tools for like energetic self-regulation. They, they don't know how to regulate it and translate it into the world in healthy ways. And, and it's too, it's almost like they're too much for the world around them. The world can't support it. So they, they, they have to either get high or use anxiety and depression to regulate their energy and again i think it's a function of the environment the environment is sick not the person the person ha had a very very healthy intention um and there is a beauty in that and i and i hate to see the shame that's within within that community right. um I was going to add that one of the things that they're finding more and more as, you know, as science and studies progress is that a lot of addiction and alcoholism is, is, uh, stems from one's intention to self-soothe because truth, there is trauma in their pasts. Yes. Nine absolutely. out of ten, nine, nine out of 10 addicts have a traumatic past. And it's their attempt at self-soothing. So, absolutely, and that's that's a healthy intention. The, the doing the drugs part isn't, but wanting to live in in a soothed, comforted state in a reality where you can experience the feelings that you know you were born to have is really well thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and, and it's true, and I think um, that is the issue, right, is that our society is so tethered to the outcome of a situation or the outcome of a circumstance as opposed to recognizing or validating that intention. And yeah, that, and it's um, like we have the, the opioid crisis and the fentanyl crisis and the, this crisis, and, the, and, and they address each one, and meth, you know, is, is wrecking, wreaking havoc on everyone, and, and it's like... Good luck. You can you can get rid of all the opioids, but until you get rid of yes, 
the pain that that you know and have the support for the trauma healing to do the work to get to the expansion to where you don't need the drugs to find that false sense of expansion it, it, we're, we're not making any progress by shutting down one crisis because we haven't addressed the underlying issues. Exactly. Absolutely agree. We're looking at the, the siloed symptoms of things as opposed to the whole person that that, that is there. Yeah. Um, wow, you two. Mind blown. Um, <laughs> I have so enjoyed our time to get today, this discussion, everything. Can't thank you enough both for thank sharing. Um, it just means the world. I just can't thank you enough for helping all of us become a bit more aware now. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Tune into our podcast, subscribe to our magazine, find us and join us online. Visit IamAwareNow.com. We will no longer wait for permission to change the world. Together, we are aware now.